0: I'm Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. Kubernetes is one of the main open source systems used for cloud computing. Janet Kuo, software engineer at Google, explained various Kubernetes patterns. We talked about stateless, stateful, demons, and batch. Janet also explained the declarative nature of the Kubernetes API and examples of its application. This show is brought to you by Sudo Shirt, an online store featuring apparel designed by developers for developers. Sudo shirt features subtle designs to show your love for technology. Check it out by going to sudo shirt.com. That's sudo shirt.com. Thank you. Janet Kuo, software engineer at Google and co-chair of KubeCon and CloudNativeCon is joining us today. Janet, welcome to the
1: show. Thank you for having me.
0: Today, we're going to talk about several things in the cloud computing space, Kubernetes, Kubernetes patterns, APIs, and also KubeCon and CloudNative. First, I want to begin with a quick recap of Kubernetes. We've done a show about it with Aparna in the past, but I want to get your opinion on this. What is Kubernetes?
1: So to me, Kubernetes is a platform for you to build your own platform, your especially the distributed platforms. So it's good for you to run and deploy your containerized applications at scale, and it's really resilient. So most of the times, the tedious works are automated. Like when some of your machines suddenly dead or lose connection, your workloads, your applications will still be running because Kubernetes can help you move the workload to somewhere else that's available for it to run. Or when a pod or a container suddenly terminates or exit, then Kubernetes can also help you to create another one to recover. Or when your traffic suddenly spikes, especially for like uh, shopping websites or for gaming website or gaming apps, then these kind of things happen a lot. So Kubernetes can also help you auto scale uh, your workloads and all those resources. So that's basically Kubernetes.
0: What are some of the reasons why Kubernetes? Is becoming more popular talking about it companies are exploring ways to migrate some of their infrastructure to it what are some of the main reasons for this
1: so i think the biggest reason is that kubernetes solves those companies problems and what they want to do is not just running containers because they don't care about whatever what technology they use, they actually care about what the technology can give them. So they want agile. They want to be able to react to market faster. So um, Kubernetes and container technologies can help them really deploy quickly and see what get real feedback very quick and then iterate fast.
0: Exactly. And Kubernetes has numerous components some of the main ones are pods controllers and nodes yes can you explain each of this we can first start with pods
1: so in kubernetes you can think of a pod as a a, your containerized application so it usually consists of one container or sometimes several tightly coupled containers and then you put them together and those containers in a pod, they share the same uh, environment, for example, the same IP, the same file system, and the same fate. For example, if they got killed together, if they get scheduled, they get scheduled together. And those containers talk to each other via localhost. So the users can just think of it as a a smallest unit in Kubernetes, and it's a uh, containerized applications for the users.
0: So it's essentially a group of containers.
1: Yes. What about controllers? So in Kubernetes, a lot of things, you can call it controller. For example, the deployment that most users will use to deploy their stateless applications The deployment is backed by deployment controller and also the node is backed by node controller. So what the controller does is that it's just a binary that automates the works. For example, it looks at what the user want the system to do, want Kubernetes to do. For example, I as a user, I can tell Kubernetes that I want three copies of Nginx running in my cluster and i want them to use this much cpu and i want to specify some special command things like that and i tell kubernetes that in the controller will take a look at the user's specification and then make that thing happen. So users don't need to worry about the implementation details I want. I, I, as a user, can just tell Kubernetes to do those things in the controllers. Just make those things happen. And if something goes wrong in the middle, users don't need to take action because controllers will try their best to make users' expected state happen.
0: So it sounds like there are already some controllers that users can leverage from Kubernetes in addition to potentially writing their own, is that correct? Yes. What are examples of the existing ones? What do they do?
1: So the existing ones are, for example, the workload controllers. Those are the things that users use to deploy their applications. So we have different kinds of workload controllers, but that's basically for different kinds of uh, applications that you run. For example, I run database with one kind of controller and I run my Nginx or stateless applications use a different one or I run my batch jobs with another different controller. So those are workload controllers. And then there is also like node controller that I just mentioned. So node controller is responsible for watching the status of each node in your cluster. So node is like a a machine. It can be physical or virtual. And then it's the thing that has the compute resource that your pod, your container can be scheduled and run on. And then there is also scheduler. So scheduler is also actually a controller, even though that it doesn't have a controller in its name. But deep down, it's actually a controller. And then what it does is that it looks at all the pods and see which pod is not scheduled yet, and then use some algorithm to figure out where the pod can be scheduled on which node. So basically everything, almost everything in Kubernetes is a controller.
0: I see. So we've talked about pods, which are groups of containers, controllers, where a lot of the functionality is specified and Easier for somebody to leverage and nodes, which can be physical or virtual machines. Yes. One of the things you mentioned related to the controller is there exists a workload controller. And workloads are actually something that I wanted to talk about with you, beginning with what is a Kubernetes workload?
1: So, Kubernetes workload is actually just anything that you want to run on Kubernetes, especially on, uh, I mean, a containerized application. So there are several different kinds of workload. You can say a containerized application you can run in Kubernetes. There are basically four different types. There's stateless which is like the deployment API that's for stateless. And stateless means that on the workload, the stateless workload is basically the workload that doesn't keep track of state. And you don't care if the pod is dead or not because it doesn't keep track of state. You, it just take a request from the users, for example, the web server, that just takes requests and do the things, it doesn't remember anything. But for a stateful workload, for example, the database, you use a different workload API. That's the stateful set. So for those stateful workloads, you want to remember this, their state and you want to remember like the identity of each replica of your pod. For example, if you have an atcd staple stateful set, then it may have three shard of pod, then each shard will have a unique identity and their own storage. So it's pretty different from the stateless one. And then there's a third type is daemon. So daemon means that uh, it's something that runs one per every node. For example, for uh, monitoring, it will be good for you to monitor your each of your node or you can do logging in each of your node and for that we use daemon set API and the last one is the batch jobs and the API is called jobs and then it's for running the thing that will eventually exit for example I want to process a work queue of email or I want to render something or I want to process something for machine learning and then I can use the job that um, I can create each part that will eventually exit after it finish whatever it needs to do. For example, I need to send a pile of emails from a queue then I can launch a lot of jobs that takes one address from the queue and then send the email and then exit when it's done and that's an example of the batch. So basically we have the four types of workloads the stateless, stateful, the daemon and the batch.
0: What is the end to end experience for creating a workload and running this this
1: workload? So the end to end experience starting from the user's end. So most users will either use uh Cube control or their own client, or for example, they can use UI if they are using some UI. So basically that will create something called API object or a configuration that we sent to Kubernetes. So you can send it as a YAML file or a JSON file. And that's basically a API object that has the spec in it so that you can specify the user's intention in the spec. For example, run three replicas of Nginx. So, after you send that request to Kubernetes, the request, if it's posted successfully, this request, I mean, this API object will be stored in the API servers at CD. So, everything in kubernetes talks to api server directly and the state is kept in is kept in C D, the state storage system in kubernetes and then after that another other controller will query make a query to the api server periodically and then check the spec and make things happen and then when something is happened the Controllers will report the state back to the same API object and in its status field. So let me take a real example. So for example, I as a user can create a deployment API object. In the spec, I say the container image is nginx. And then I want three replicas. And then I send it to Kubernetes. And the API server um, takes the request and then put it in the etcd, and then done. And then the deployment controller sees it, and notice there's something, there's a new deployment object being updated. It look at the deployment API object from the API server, and then it sees that it needs a Nginx container and with three replicas, so it creates three more pods with those nginx containers in it, and then create those pods, and then update the status and write it back to the API server. And then the the scheduler will kick in. Scheduler will see those pods being created. It will try to schedule those pods to different nodes based on the available resource, and then write back to those pods because the scheduler tells the pod where it's scheduled. And then after that, the state is written again back to the API server. And then the kubelet on each node will see those pods being scheduled. And then the kubelet will look at the pod and then try to pull the image that's specified in the pod and then run those containers. And then again report the container status back in the pod status and then write it back to the API server. So you can see there's a lot of automation done by the controller and the user only need to worry about writing what they want Kubernetes to do in the spec. And then all the work will be taken care of by Kubernetes.
0: Exactly. As you are describing this end-to-end experience for creating a workload all the way to launching it, you're touching on this core concept of Kubernetes, which means it's configuration is declarative, which is exactly what you said. The user just specifies in a YAML or a JSON file what they want, what they need. Three replicas, this type of service, and everything else is handled behind the scenes. How was this handled before when we didn't have such declarative configurations?
1: So without declarative configuration, you will be a lot of those automation wouldn't be possible. So the users need to figure out how they do the same thing. For example, they need to write something that will watch the status of the system and monitor it. And if something failed, they need to write a program that will take care of that. And also, in Kubernetes, when you create something and you update something, you always update the same API object. So it's easy to, for you to write program that will continuously update your configuration. For example, if I want to upgrade my Nginx from version 1 to version 2, I only need to update my YAML file and update that field, and then I can keep using kube Control apply that will just apply the change. And I don't need to figure out which other API call I need to make. It's always the same API call. But then if you don't have the declarative, then you may have create, deployment, API call, and then an another update, deployment, container, image, API call, and it will be hard for you to automate. So. Basically, it's just taking the jobs that users need to do themselves to Kubernetes. One of
0: the things I heard you mention before, just shifting the conversation a little bit to more of applications of Kubernetes, you've said Kubernetes can be used to manage robots. What type of functionality does Kubernetes provide for this use case?
1: So it doesn't need to be raw, but it's a, an example of um, how Kubernetes can manage resources outside of Kubernetes. So it can be any other external resource that's not a Kubernetes thing. And then in Kubernetes, there's a concept of custom API and custom controller that's basically you can create you can register your own api object and then use it the way that you use for the core kubernetes api objects and you can write your own controller that does the automation your kubernetes cluster so that you can the benefit is that you can manage everything just on using the kubernetes api Best practice and then so for a robot you can in the controller you can write some code that will talk to the robot the external resource and that's how we can use kubernetes to manage robot so it can actually be anything for example a, a car maybe or your home devices
0: exactly one last thing that i want to talk about in in terms of the api capabilities is this notion that the API, just like the configuration, is declarative. What does it mean
1: for an API to be declarative? So an API being declarative means that the users just tell the API that I want something to happen without telling the system how to do it. So the system will have the ability to optimize because the implementation is up to the system, not provided by the user. And for the users, it's very convenient for them to make something happen without knowing how to make that happen.
0: Before we finish, I want to switch gears for a bit and and talk about KubeCon and CloudNativeCon, which you are a co-chair of. Can you do a quick recap of what kubecon and cloud native con is
1: so kubecon and cloud native con is a conference that bring together the community and then to share the knowledge or exchange the experience of using cloud native technologies and those technologies are the technologies like containers service meshes microservices and declarative apis etc and it allows the enterprises or the organizations or the individual developers to build and run their applications at scale and in the modern dynamic environments like public cloud or private cloud or hybrid clouds and those technology can enable the people to build loosely coupled systems, and they make those systems really resilient and observable and manageable. And also the most important thing is that you can automate a lot of tasks. And it's an ecosystem built around the container technology and Kubernetes.
0: What are some of your responsibilities as co-chair of these conferences?
1: So as a co-chair, I need to manage the content of each conference. For example, I need to select the program committee members that will review each of the talk proposals, and I need to pick uh, the final accepted talks and build the schedule. And then I need to invite uh, the keynote speakers, and I also do keynotes. and also promote kubecon and cloudnativecon where i can and make sure that kubecon and cloudnativecon is very vendor neutral so we don't want any vendor pitch in kubecon and cloudnativecon And we also we only want the open source solutions being provided and advocated in the conference
0: you mentioned one of your responsibilities is reviewing proposals what are some of the characteristics of a good proposal for this conference?
1: So a good proposal should be first not vendor pitch and be talking about some open source technology or some best practices that everyone can leverage. And then also it should be clearly written what are the things you want to talk about. For example, if I want to tell you the best practices that I want to show in how to better manage the security in Kubernetes, then I need to tell you what exactly are those best practices. And also, it's better to be novel because we usually see the similar topics of the proposal being proposed by several different people or it's repeated in several different conferences and then that will make the proposal harder to stand out so figure out something that's new and also i personally like the real end user stories like the use cases how people are really using kubernetes and running it in production and some are what are some of the the tricks or the best practices or the pitfalls that you can share, or even the, you know, the disaster stories that that's also interesting to everyone because we can all learn from our mistakes. So I personally love the case studies the best.
0: Have you noticed any trends in terms of the talks that are submitted? So uh,
1: I think starting from... Last year, I start seeing a lot of people start customizing their own Kubernetes using the custom resource that I just mentioned. Use that pattern to extend and build on top of Kubernetes. That's a trend that I see from the last year. I think that's because we implement a feature called custom resource definition, or you maybe you often hear CRDs. And the feature is getting more and more mature, and that's why people are adopting it. And also, that shows that um, Kubernetes core resources are not enough, because that's only for very general cases. That's like 80% of general cases. But when you want to customize, you want Kubernetes to be able to help you to extend on top of Kubernetes. And I can see that's real requirement for everyone, because A lot of proposals are coming and then talking about how to extend on top of Kubernetes. And also a lot of new technologies like Istio are built uh, using CRD.
0: Well, Janet, thank you for coming on the show. It's been great talking to you.
1: Thank you. Me too.